You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 458 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. And today we're going to be talking about the latest with regards to a situation I've been touching on here recently uh, over the past couple of weeks and uh, also it's a culmination of a several years long situation which I don't know if we're at the end of yet but uh, I guess the good Lord knows time will tell but first off I'd like to start with uh, a couple of biblical passages which to my way of thinking actually do pertain to uh, what we want to get into, which is my cousin Tim Mullet joining Protestia, uh, his podcast, the Bible Bashed podcast, being added to the lineup for Protestia with the departure of Jordan Hall, or at least the absence at the present time of Jordan Hall, is uh, just a very curious move for all parties concerned, not least because. He's got my last name. Uh, we're cousins. Uh, it's an interesting choice that, of all people, Micah Hirschberger and my cousin would be somebody that Protestia welcomes in and asks to join them. Uh, that's an odd, odd move for Protestia, I think, uh, given the role that we played in helping to break some stories with regards to what actually happened with the fall of J.D. Hall. It was not just a Xanax addiction. It was domestic violence, allegedly, and uh, embezzlement of church funds, allegedly, and a lot of other very scandalous, scurrilous things as well over the past several years. Uh, any one of them, which should have been enough to say, this guy is not qualified for ministry. He's not qualified to be a minister of God. He's not biblically qualified, not your subjective opinion and you really like him and my subjective opinion and I just really can't stand him. No, no, no. Biblically speaking, according to the letter of the law, what God's word says are to be the qualifications for overseers and deacons. He doesn't meet those qualifications. But nevertheless, Protestia has decided that they want to invite my cousin, Tim Mullet, to join them. And whatever their reasons are, it's an odd thing to me, to my mind, that his being Mike is in my first cousin is not a uh, bridge too far or a non-starter for them. It, it, it's, a, it's not a, uh, a reason against in their way of thinking. It's also interesting from Tim's side of things because, again, here he's got two first cousins who lived 
in Sydney, Montana for several years, concurrent to when Jordan Hall was uh, the senior pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church in Sydney, Montana. Also had some run-ins, in my case, certainly, with Jordan, especially online. We certainly podcasted and blogged about the problems regarding Jordan Hall and what it was that he was trying to do. And given that we were doing very similar things in some sense, I really want to answer a charge in this podcast episode in particular that some people can't really tell the difference between what Jordan was doing and what I've been doing or what Jordan was doing and what Micah and I were doing with On the Rocks and other ventures. I really want to answer that because that, to be quite honest, gets under my skin in a real way. Uh, That really disturbs me. If it were true, it would mean that I should just walk away from podcasting and writing and I'm in no position to do what I'm doing because Jordan wasn't and isn't. If it's not true, well then I need to figure out why some people might mistakenly get that impression and why other people would think that that was a smear they could throw out casually uh, regardless of the merits. But again, as I said, before we get into more of the substance of uh, the decision to join Protestia by Tim Mullet and the Bible Bashed podcast, before we get into what the differences are between J.D. Hall and myself, I want to read for you 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And I quote, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now we see here a couple of key points. One, sometimes God's people suffer for righteousness sake. Now you could say sometimes God's people and people in general suffer for the sake of being wicked and foolish. And that's true. But it's better to suffer for righteousness sake. And the question should be asked, do some of us suffer for righteousness sake and need to remember that so that there's a comfort in suffering for righteousness sake? Do some of us need to remember that because we are suffering for righteousness sake and it will help us to persevere to remember? On the flip side, do some suffer because of folly? and wickedness. And they want to say it's for righteousness sake, but it's really not. It's really that they're wicked and they make bad choices and they're selfish and they're going their own way and they don't revere Christ in their hearts as holy, but they think they're suffering for righteousness sake. And they tell the world that they're suffering for righteousness sake. And should they be allowed 
to conflate them reaching consequences, natural consequences for bad behavior, should they be allowed to conflate that with suffering for righteousness sake? Or are they potentially, one, giving themselves a false comfort, and two, are they potentially depriving those who are genuinely suffering for righteousness sake of legitimacy? Honest question. That's an honest question. I think the answer is yes, but I would say when it is not for righteousness sake, neither you nor I should pretend that we are suffering for righteousness sake, and we shouldn't hide behind our being Christians and say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. You're being wicked, actually. Not woe is me. I don't care what your doctrinal statement is. I don't care what your theology supposedly is. If you're being wicked, and then you're facing the consequences for wickedness, actually, not for faithfulness, but for wickedness, for being awful and ugly to people, then you're not suffering for righteousness sake then. You know, it's interesting too, with this passage, we're called to not be afraid of those who would punish us for righteousness. That's an important thing to note. We're called to have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Don't be afraid of them. They're going to try, and they are trying to make you afraid of them because fear can be a powerful motivator. Don't be afraid of them. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And to be very, very, very clear, I don't read have no fear of them, nor be troubled as some stern and harsh command. I read this as a comforting encouragement. Yes, sober. Yes, emphatic. Yes, authoritative, but not spoken with a paddle in the hand for your backside if you do feel some fear of them or are troubled. I read in this an encouragement and a comfort, like when my four-year-old just was brought back upstairs, because it's almost 11 p.m., by the way. I think my circadian rhythm is thrown off a bit. From getting a call about, oh, this time last night for work, and then also just having a busy day with lots of goings-on, lots of things to think about. But my four-year-old son was brought back up by my 11-year-old son just as I was coming out the door, having given up on sleeping just yet tonight. And he was crying. The four-year-old was. He wanted some chocolate milk and maybe wasn't feeling so hot. And he had fallen asleep upstairs and then our oldest son carried him down to his bed in the basement. And I don't know if he had had a bad dream or slept funny or again, like I said, if he's not feeling well, but I said, are you okay? Yeah, I just want chocolate milk. And I'm like, okay, all right, tomorrow morning. At 10.30 tonight, not, no, not tonight, son. You should go back to sleep and get some sleep. And I'm one to talk. But the point is, I wasn't stern with him. I didn't need to be stern with him. If he was still a little bit upset, suppose he had woke up from a nightmare. Would I need to be 
unpleasant, harsh, overbearing with him? No. Nor would I need to rebuke him for being scared, troubled, if some person was genuinely threatening him. What I might say is, it's all right. I've got this. And then I would step in and deal with the person threatening my son. But there's no getting around the fact that we're called to not be afraid of those who would punish us for righteousness sake. It says it right here. That's a good thing for us to not be afraid of those who would punish us for righteousness sake. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But I don't think that's something for us to be beating ourselves up about and feeling guilty about if we do feel some fear or are somewhat troubled. Do put it away and make an effort to put it away by focusing on honoring Christ the Lord as holy. Focus on that. But you're not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. And when it's not perfect, remember that he gives more grace and don't sin that grace might abound all the more. But also, I am not sold on this idea that feeling fear, feeling anxiety, feeling anger is something to repent of as if it's a sin. And I'm not convinced that feeling fear or anxiety or anger or sadness is something to rebuke one another over. What I am sure of is that when someone slanders us and reviles our good behavior in Christ, that is not a blank check for us to respond any old way we want to. And yet we prepare ourselves to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in us, yet with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. And I don't think that us being called to that means that is always easy. And yet, what does Peter say? It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, because you could be suffering for evil. You could. You could. But it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will. And what happens if you give a reason for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, well then, those who are slandering you and your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So also, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4, through 4, the Apostle Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now it's interesting. There's a contrast between the attitude inherent to I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, on the one hand, and being more than merely human, as we typically think of such. Now, it's interesting, as I've been reading about behavioral economics here lately, and persuasive design, nudge theory, I note that 
in behavioral economics, the vast majority of people are regarded as humans as opposed to econs. And econs in behavioral economics are rational actors. They're the ones who are regarded as making rational decisions as opposed to whatever it is that the rest of humanity is doing and about. And I note here that in some sense, what Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, gives credence to the idea that there is such a thing as being human and there is such a thing as being more than merely human or something other than merely human, which is to say, in some sense, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, is not rational. Who are you saved in? Are you saved in Paul? Are you saved in Apollos? Now, the person who has built their entire identity around following Paul, following Apollos, will say, oh, no, 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 but you don't understand. He has said some really helpful things. He has written some really helpful things. He's done some really helpful things. You don't understand. To which I would say, oh, no, but I do. I think maybe you're forgetting what Christ has done and what Christ has said. And I think maybe you have a hard time grasping what it is that Christ has done and said. It's easier to remember what some human being who's more relatable has done and said. It's easier to aspire to. And it's not to say that we shouldn't follow good godly examples like Paul and Apollos. But here lately I've been reading up on ecumenism, and it's funny to me that I find myself agreeing with points made by Peter Lightheart about the carnality of bracing this attitude where Protestants are concerned. Where Protestants are concerned, we'll say, oh yes, this guy's of Luther, this guy's of Calvin, this guy's of Knox, or at least that's what Lightheart will say. And yet, from listening to a few discussions between Lightheart and Fred Sanders and Carl Truman, which were held at Biola a few years back, or with Doug Wilson around the same time, I don't hear Lightheart applying even-handedly those biblical criticisms where the Roman Catholic Church is concerned. I agree with Lightheart's concerns about sectarianism or being unreasonably loyal to a certain servant of God at the expense of Christian unity. For one, that should be equally a criticism in every direction. If you really do regard all of these so-called churches as actual churches. For two, sometimes it's worth asking the question, in particular cases, are we dealing with a true church? And there's a lot of complexity there, which I'd like to get into in a future episode, but I won't get lost in the weeds on just yet in this episode. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) But this idea that I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I think is very concerning to me with regards to Jordan Hall and my one cousin, Tim Mullet, joining Protestia. It's very concerning, not to say that he's joining because he would say, I'm of J.D. Hall, but it's concerning to me that my cousin, who's a minister, who's a pastor, 
who's a Nuthetic counselor, who's a podcaster like I am, has been listening to Jordan Hall for several years and knows what he's about and yet would join an organization founded by Jordan Hall. And I find myself wondering, like, what is the draw? What is it that anyone would suppose they're adding to their repertoire or their skill set or their resume or their spiritual condition or pedigree or what, right? What? This is where C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, I think, is instructive. Not that it is totally unhelpful to be able to say this or that Christian is from such and such a place at such and such a time, and this Christian is a young man, or this Christian is an older woman, or this Christian is not from around here, or they were raised in this tradition. Those are all things that can be said that can be helpful. But when we override very sound reasons to pause, like for instance, police reports about domestic violence and embezzling, reports from a lot of former church members that they felt threatened and they didn't know what Jordan Hall was capable of doing. Comments made in public, in plain sight of all, for years about a wide range of personalities, organizations, institutions, very negative, very critical, and sometimes just fictitious enough to be believable and yet highly toxic to the reputations of the people towards whom articles were directed. Why would someone say, on the one hand, I'm a Christian, that's enough for me, and on the other hand, say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, except selfish ambition, vain conceit. We get some kind of advantage over one another if we can say we are of this team, this tribe, this certain branch. And again, I'm not saying there's no use in some helpful labels to identify what we are about, what we believe. But when those labels center on a particular person other than Christ, and when we are not judging trees by the fruit that they bear, knowing that Christ was saying the fruit in question is good works, that should give us pause. That should concern us. One more passage here, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 34. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man 
has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking? I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. I note here a quote, bad company corrupts good morals, or bad company ruins good morals. Contrasted with, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This is important in several dimensions, one being that if we think this life is all there is, well then, we might as well live it up. And that can be very discouraging. That can be very depressing, disappointing when we realize we have no more pleasure in eat and drink and be merry sort of talk. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. It has to do specifically with denying the resurrection of the dead here. That's not the only way that bad company can express itself, but in context here, the concern is people who deny the resurrection of the dead, who deny that Christians will be raised from the dead because Christ was raised from the dead. I dare say there can be many ways to undermine the resurrection of the dead or to act and behave as though the resurrection of the dead is for nothing and counts for nothing, to treat it in a cheap way. As an aside, I love the way that Paul builds his argument here. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? How can this be? How does that go together? These things can't be true at the same time, that he is and he isn't. It's the law of non-contradiction. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't even raised, and this is all just make-believe. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We have even been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. So it gets more and more important, and critically so, 
to emphasize the importance of the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection or denying the resurrection, the way that Paul builds his argument here. Wait, 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 wait. If some are saying there is no resurrection and we've been saying there is a resurrection, if we're wrong, there are major problems with us. We've been misrepresenting God. This is not, oh, whatever. No, no, no. It's a big deal. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, and we said he has been raised from the dead, we've been lying about who God is and what he did. And you're still dead in your sins, by the way. You're not actually forgiven. Your faith is futile. You're to be most pitied above all men. You've been delaying gratification, passing up on opportunities to be wicked and unscrupulous and immoral and cutthroat and tricky. But, in fact, he continues, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then so also, however much Paul was chiding, he gives encouragement. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's great. That's great. That is praiseworthy and exciting. That's great. Paul continues, though. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And then he says, bad company ruins good morals. And here again, I think that it's curious to me that my warnings have fallen on deaf ears, where I say, this is bad company. Like the track I played at the top of this episode, this is bad company to join with an organization, to join with an organization like protestia. It's bad company. That's bad news. And bad company corrupts good morals. And we shouldn't want that, by the way. Like That's not no big deal. Some people are like, oh, good morals? Oh, I don't need good morals. I have Christ. Stop. Stop being simple and lawless. Bad company corrupts good morals, which is to say, have nothing to do with bad company. Insist on good morals. Half the reason, I should add, I will make mention, it's been bothering me a great deal and weighing on me, as I said, in discussing privately the whole situation with Jordan Hall and a certain recent podcast episode that was published to the Bible Bashed podcast, I was very frustrated because the thrust of the argument regarding Jordan Hall and his fall from grace and his being permanently disqualified certainly seemed to be either it's everyone's fault or it's no one's fault. So either A, it's actually the whole church's fault that he was on Xanax and got addicted to Xanax and the Xanax made him do it. And anybody who is pointing out more than just the Xanax right now is 
spiking the football. And they should be ashamed of themselves. Either it's all our fault because we were all so okay with Xanax prescriptions and Prozac and Ritalin and what have you. Or it's okay to take psychotropic drugs. And he just got a little carried away. But again, the Xanax made him do it. And I think to myself, for one, there is grace in Christ for sinners. And thank God for that. I need that grace. And you need that grace. But we should not cheapen that grace. And we should not claim that we are without sin. And we should not permit someone who has been as abusive to not just his family, but people in public for years and years and years, people in his home church and in the community for years and years and years, to when he finally crosses one too many lines, try and fall back on the Xanax made me do it. We should not permit that. And yet my cousin Tim on his podcast was talking about how he had been saying for 15 to 20 years, we all need to get off this psychotropic drugs bandwagon, maybe even start church disciplining Christians and especially pastors if they are taking psychotropic drugs instead of reading their Bibles, praying, being obedient. The scripture says, be anxious for nothing. You need to be rebuked for being anxious. The scripture says, fear not. You need to be rebuked for being afraid. The scripture says, put away your anger. You need to be rebuked for being angry, etc., etc., etc. And what was frustrating to me was that here I have tried to be very diligent and careful in bringing to light dark deeds, which the church needed to be aware of. First Timothy 5 says that no charge is to be admitted against an elder except on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And there were far more than two or three witnesses regarding a certain pattern of behavior and way of relating and a certain partiality and hypocrisy is inherent to the way that Fellowship Baptist Church and Protestia and allies of Jordan Halls and yes, my own cousin, have related to two men, at least. I'll give you two, for example. One being a certain Joshua Chavez from Albuquerque, New Mexico, a.k.a. Service Christi, who Micah and I reached out to with evidence and said, would you be willing to bring this public, make this public? John Harris over at Conversations That Matter declined. All right, then, you're a busy man. You weren't too busy to have him on your podcast a couple of times. You weren't too busy to podcast about him when things broke on their own, but you were too busy to talk with some people who had been in his church to dig into the reporting, to bring these things to light, to comment on them. So we went to Joshua Chavez. I have a podcast. It's not It's not that I wouldn't bring those things here first, but when the question is, Size of audience, size of platform, Joshua Chavez has a bigger audience. And the nature of the problem was such that this needed to be nationwide, known, uncovered. The lid needed to be blown off and quick. 
You know, it's a curious thing because there have been headlines this election year about Democrats buying advertising for the most radical Republicans in primaries across the U.S. Because the Democrats want to run against the most radical, unhinged, far-right Republican they possibly can find. So they want the really crazy person who's running as a Republican to win so they can run against them and they can win. It's very clever. It's also very evil and devious and underhanded. Very tricky. Controlled opposition. And I will be honest with you. I I have wondered, I have wondered if Jordan Hall wasn't controlled opposition planted right there in Eastern Montana some reason to believe Joel Crowder was, having been president of the College Democrats at Liberty University. I don't know. I'm not saying either of them definitely were, but I am saying when that kind of thinking goes into the political calculations of the left in this country, I wouldn't put anything past them. And the way that Jordan has operated as a pastor, as a blogger, as a podcaster, as a commentator, as a political candidate, Boy, howdy, has it reminded a lot of folk of the way that Democrats operate. Not just shrewd, unscrupulous. So I object. I object to careful, diligent, intentional efforts being made to get the facts straight, to line everything up, to be sure that we had the right of it, and then for it to be implied that the only relevant detail worth talking about was a Xanax addiction. And for all kinds of former allies to only want to talk about a Xanax addiction. And then for some of them to say, oh yes, well, he's permanently disqualified because of that. And you could just tell they wanted him gone for a long time because he scared them too. And now's the chance to have him gone. Plus also they maybe knew that there was more and let's just have him go away. And still others have said Xanax addiction. No, he shouldn't be gone forever. I hope he gets out of rehab and comes right back and becomes a pastor somewhere else and comes back to Protestia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm talking with my cousin Tim privately about all this. And for some reason, we can't seem to stay on topic with regards to Jordan Hall and what happened there and whether he covered that clearly. And all of a sudden we're talking about emotions and whether we should be rebuking emotions. And for the next several weeks, I'm patiently going back and forth with him talking about the relevant passages of scripture that pertain to rebuking emotions. And I'm not going to give you the play-by-play. You don't need the play-by-play. I can't give you, with the time that I have, dozens and dozens of hours worth of summary tonight. But what I will tell you is I am gravely concerned by the combination, on the one hand, of this idea that we're going to rebuke negative emotions. We're going to rebuke someone when they're angry, anxious, afraid, and then add that to an institution which is predicated on trying to drum up 
all of the most negative feelings in its audience and in the wider American evangelical, American church community. So what's going to happen when someone is being awful, ugly, nasty, mean, abusive towards some man, woman, or child anywhere in the country who claims to be a Christian, and yet we can pick at some rumor about them. So let's say there's a rumor, and this is a real rumor, and I'm not breaking it here, and it's not gossip and hearsay. It's it's a fact that this was claimed by Jordan Hall and Protestia and Pulpit and Pen and all the rest, that Joshua Chavez imported a South African woman, brought her to the United States, got married, consummated the marriage, and put her away. And it's this big scandalous thing that Pulpit and Pen decided they wanted to dig up, write about, talk about, repeat over and over and over again after Joshua Chavez started criticizing Pulpit and Pen, the polemics report, the Pope of polemics himself, as he called himself. And I skimmed the article if I didn't read it entirely. I don't remember if I read it entirely word for word, but it was really tenuous reasoning and sketchy. Hey, so-and-so was on a message board on Facebook and some woman got on there and was talking about how her ex-husband, her estranged husband, was a YouTube star who had brought her to America from South Africa. And here's a picture of the two of them together. And here's her story that she was posting on Facebook. And it's like, okay, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe you're just making it up. Maybe both. I don't know. But also, how is that admissible if police reports and the testimony of a long list of former elders and deacons at Fellowship Baptist Church is gossip and hearsay? Riddle me that. You combine an outlet which is willing to destroy the reputation of anyone whom they deem it would be convenient to destroy, supposedly for the edification of the church, that the fear of God and the preaching of the word would go forth, but also possibly just to get the clicks, also possibly just to get popular, to get influence for themselves, to have men speak well of them, in certain demographics anyway. I look at the situation in which my cousin is telling me, not once, not twice, several times, and my cousin, Micah, also telling him, and my aunt, and another cousin, oh, but this Joshua Chavez guy, oh, you you need to know about the situation with him. Yes, he was guilty of a most heinous sin, importing a woman from South Africa and marrying her and then putting her away after consummating the marriage. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Weren't you also saying it wouldn't be helpful to get into the allegations against Jordan Hall about his domestic violence and embezzling funds from his church and that actually being the real reason why 
He was removed from the pastorate and protestia. Weren't you just saying it wouldn't be helpful to get into those allegations, even though we have police reports and the testimony of a long list of former and current elders and deacons and members? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. That is hypocrisy. And if you combine that kind of hypocrisy with a penchant, a stubborn penchant, I would say, for rebuking people for their negative emotions, I think that gets to be very, very destructive to the testimony of the church, the fellowship of the saints, the purity of the gospel. Or what? Suppose you are some young man who's running a YouTube channel or a podcast or a blog online, and Protestia decides they don't like the cut of your jib. They decide they're going to try and dig up dirt on you and your family, everything you've ever done and everything you've ever been about. And whatever they find, they're going to sprinkle in a little bit of imagination and a lot of malice, and they're going to run with it. Because that's what they do, is yellow journalism and muckraking. They're going to run with it. And then, when said YouTube star, podcaster, blogger, is angry at having been maligned, slandered, libeled. You'll have somebody on staff who says, maybe we need to rebuke the anger you're feeling. Put away all anger, all wrath. And I said this, right? I'm only telling you publicly because I said this privately and not once, not twice, several times. And I tried patiently to engage in conversation because I thought, well, okay, maybe if I can establish this, if I can hit this moving target a few times, then I'll be able to make my larger case about how this is bad news, cuz. And unfortunately, by the end of it, my cousin Tim Mullet over at the Bible Bashed podcast has unsent every one of his messages to me. Every one of his private messages to me is unsent, which I just find very odd. I find that to be a very odd move. I think it's one thing to say, I'm done having this conversation. I, we're just we're at an impasse, and uh, that would have been fine with me, I think, much, much earlier. I spent a lot of time, invested a lot of hours, hoping to get to that point. But to unsend messages one after another, after another, all of them. I have never had that happen to me. Not ever. And anybody, by the way, anybody who would say, oh, well, he's probably afraid that you were going to take his private messages to you and post them to your blog or read them or play the audio for them on your podcast. To that, I would say, no, I don't need to do that. But I am telling you about those private conversations, because I think it's very important to note a difference between what Protestia has been doing, what Pulpit and Pen was doing before they rebranded themselves as Protestia, what Jordan Hall has been about, and what I'm about. I think it's important to point out the differences. The question was asked by my cousin, even after dozens of hours of back and forth conversation, well, but really, you know, what's the difference between you and Jordan, what you've done and what Jordan's done? You know, you exposing Jordan 
and then Jordan exposing other people. I, I just really can't see the difference. And I said, well, okay, how about this? Who is afraid for their physical safety and the physical safety of their wives and children with regards to me? Because they dared to disagree with me, contradict me. Who, who's afraid of me coming after them? I don't think anybody is, really. Now, if somebody comes after me and my family, that person should be afraid. But I really, I really, I, I hope, I hope nobody is thinking, oh man, I don't know what Garrett's capable of. Yeah, like he got upset when we were debating this, that, or the other thing the other day, and I don't know what he's capable of. You know, I don't think anybody's saying that about me. I just really don't. I just really don't. Somebody threatens my family, and they show up menacing my family, threatening my wife or my kids. They will know when they're threatened right back. It will not be subtle. It will not be insinuated. There will be no mistaking it. They will know when they're threatened. <laughs> but everybody else, I don't, I don't think I have a whole bunch of people who are worried about that with me. I probably have a list of people whose time I have wasted as they see it, but that's a very different thing. Never in my life have I ever received a phone call from a grown man asking me to meet with his wife and him and sat down with them and been asked to alert the FBI if all of a sudden him and his family disappear. Never before, never before in my life have I had that happen before, but I have had that happen with Jordan Hall. Never before that, never since, never with anybody but Jordan Hall, but I have had that happen with Jordan Hall. And I'll tell you, the gentleman who asked me to go to the FBI ended up having a nervous breakdown, ended up losing his job, ended up having a restraining order put on him. So I've seen up close and personal what happens when abusive, toxic, pastoral behavior, supposedly so-called pastoral, but it's not, it's not pastoring. It's not pastoring. It's wolf in sheep clothing. It's, it's not pastoring. <laughs> but I see that, right? I see that up close and personal. I sat across their coffee table from them. And then I, I saw the husband and father pushed into a nervous breakdown. And I am horrified at the idea that we would add to a scenario wherein an institution is founded by a man who does that to people and seems like he enjoys it. Like he, he makes faces and body language like he enjoys it, like he relishes it. You're going to add to an institution, an organization founded by that man, given its marching orders by that man, which will possibly be uh, led again by that man in future. You're going to add to that institution somebody who believes we should be rebuking negative emotions if we can find so-called commands in the scripture against feeling those emotions. Are you, are you kidding that's a terrible idea. Or that's a recipe for 
abuse on a very large scale. And here's the thing, right? Some Christians, very nice, very happy people, very tales oriented, will hear all of this and they'll say, you know what, isn't this somebody else's problem? You know what? So long as everybody says that, it's you and your posterity's problem forevermore. Until people stop asking if this is someone else's problem already, until people stop asking questions like that, it is your problem. And it will continue on being your problem, especially when we're talking about efforts and inroads to try and advise, steer, admonish, train, equip the national character of conservative Christians in America. We're going to train them all in the way that Jordan would have wanted. And then when they piss off everybody whose character they're assassinating, whose hearts they're tearing to pieces, we'll also train them how to very calmly, very coolly rebuke for negative emotions. And then, here's where it'll get even more sinister. If they come back with, how dare you rebuke me for my negative emotions that you provoked on purpose, I think on purpose, if we don't take care, we're going to have a whole lot of people having their salvation in the first place questioned. Are you even a Christian? I don't even know if you're saved. Oh, yeah, I just, I'm so wounded that you would object to the way that I'm abusing you. Are you sure you're even a Christian? No, that's not okay. That's not an acceptable way to behave. That's not an acceptable way to relate. That's not okay. That is not okay. That's not biblical. Anyone who says different with that combination, people who think maybe sometimes we should rebuke emotions, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I'm content to say, let's just leave it a gentleman's disagreement until it reaches the point where we're now going to join an organization founded by a serial abuser of people in God's name, so-called. And then we're going to start rebuking people's negative emotions when they don't tolerate being abused. I think it can be one thing to say we're looking at some of the emotions that we have that are strong emotions that might contribute to a vulnerability, to being tempted to behave other than how we ought to, to fail to do the good that we ought to do, to do something that we ought not to do, that would be bad to do. I think it's fair for us to look at those negative emotions and say, hmm, don't listen to that. Let's just do what we need to do anyways. I think it's fair to ask those questions, make those observations, but it always needs to come back to, it is written, it is written, it is written. What does God's word say? What does God say is true that we need to believe? What does God's word say is good that we need to be about and doing? Good works before all men, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. To be very clear, my intention is for this to be the last you hear about my cousin, Tim Mullet, with the Bible Bashed podcast, joining Protestia. As far as I'm concerned, I should like to talk no more about it. I hope he changes his mind. And maybe he does. Maybe he will. Or if he doesn't, then it would take a miracle. But God can work miracles. 
to completely overhaul Protestia. Personally, I think they need to just shut the thing down and go do something else. Personally, I have much the same feelings, at least very similar feelings about Protestia being overhauled and turned into something good or salvaged or what have you. Much the same feelings I would have if somebody said, oh, there's a building for sale across town. Roe v. Wade was overturned. There's now a national ban on abortion, you know, hypothetically, supposing Republicans retake the House and the Senate, maybe win the White House in 2024. If we get a national ban on abortion, great, wonderful, excellent, make it so. Somebody tells me in that hypothetical future world that there's a Planned Parenthood facility closed down across town. The building alone could be picked up on pennies on the dollar. I'm going to say no thanks. I'm going to say I think it should just be burned down. Erect a monument there to the victims of what was done in that place. I think... A similar sentiment captures how I feel about Protestia, to be honest with you. It's not because I am for progressivism, for liberal theology, for wokeism. No, 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 no. It's because I'm against those things that I look at the circus comes to town approach of Protestia. And I say, that's not good. That's not good. That's not careful. That's not circumspect. That's not appropriate. And I look at the way that people in the city of Montana area in Fellowship Baptist Church were treated. And I say, uh uh. I may not know all of the facts of a situation that they're going to report on from across the country, but all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like Alex Jones saying things that in hindsight, turn out to be pretty near the mark, but he says them in such a crazy way in the moment that you're just like, it's like that. But I think the evangelical version, I think Jordan Hall was the evangelical version of Alex Jones. He's going to say some true things in such a way that you think, or you jump on board and it's like a force multiplier. You're going to make the truth seem crazy and disreputable to more and more people. And this is actually not something that the scriptures are silent on. This is something that God's word speaks directly to. And it is a matter of obedience as much as rebuking emotions is a rather obscure interpretation of several key passages pertaining, maintaining a good reputation with outsiders. That's a command. Gentleness and respect in your answer Anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that lies within you, these things are not optional. They're commands. And furthermore, I'll say this. Anyone who thinks there's not much of a difference between Jordan Hall and myself, genuinely, if you're just being mean, well then. But if you genuinely think there's not much of a difference, I encourage you to do two things. One, Look just a little bit closer at what Protestia is putting out. Make sure you mean it if you're familiar with my content. I mean, look more closely at my content too, but 
look a little closer. And for two, if you really think there's not much of a difference between Jordan Hall and myself, by all the means, by all the means, reach out and let me know. Because that's a very concerning possibility to my way of thinking. Now, if you're pro-woke and you're pro-progressive and pro-liberal theology and all the rest, and you don't like that I'm against that, well, that's one thing. But I want to, I want to, I hope to be very circumspect in the way that I'm handling the truth, in the way that I'm forming arguments, in the way that I'm presenting evidence. I want to be honest and provide things honest inside of all men. I don't want to be abusive. I don't want to be a doormat, but I don't want to be a bully either. And I don't want to be a jerk. And so by all means, if you think there's not much of a difference between Jordan Hall and myself, reach out, let me know what brought you to that conclusion. By all means, please give me a chance to change your mind. It really isn't, to be clear, it's not about trying to pile on with regards to Jordan Hall. This really at its root is about having a good testimony and rebuking false teachers and guarding the people of God against wolves in sheep's clothing. We are called to that. We as Christians are called to that. But that's all the time I've got, I'm afraid. I gotta run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons a number nine coal And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain Fighting and trouble are my middle name I was raised in the cane break by an old mama line Can't no high-toned woman make me walk the line You load 16 tons What do you get? You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.